In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Matthew twenty-eight sixteen. My name is Juan Elias and welcome to the One is One podcast, an ecumenical Christian experience where we try to embody Jesus' desire that his followers may be one as God is one. John seventeen twenty-one. Our mission on this podcast is to foster a common Christian spirituality in the image of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit through prayer, knowledge, and relationships. Friends and fellow followers of Jesus, today we begin our first episode in the Knowledge series. Our topic is ecumenism. If you're tuning in for the first time, check out the previous episode that introduces the Knowledge series. Or explore the episodes on the Prayer series. And soon we'll be starting a new series. As a reminder, our episodes for the Knowledge series will go longer, aim to be around 30 minutes, They will be numbered with the letter K, so you know it's from the Knowledge series. And my goal will be to have a Knowledge episode about every two weeks or twice a month. So let's learn about ecumenism, or Jesus' desire for unity. Let's begin with the words that we are using. Uh, Sometimes they can be funny uh, if we're hearing or using them for the first time. So we're using the word ecumenism and ecumenical. Go ahead and sound them out, especially the second one. Ecumenism and ecumenical. Now let's ground ourselves in the Word of God. The foundational text for ecumenism is John 17. The context for the chapter is the Last Supper or Passover meal. Jesus having been betrayed, and Jesus knowing that his hour has come for his own Passover journey. Chapter 17 begins with these words. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given him power over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence, with the glory which I had with you before the world was made. Jesus continues, I have manifested your name to those whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now notice how Jesus speaks his desire in this next verse, verse 11. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one 
even as we are one. Here it is. Jesus desired that his followers may be one as God is one. Let's take a moment to pray with that. To pray with Jesus' words before we continue. To allow these words to find space in our minds and hearts and spirits. That they may be one even as we are one. That they may be one even as we are one. And Jesus goes deeper. I do not pray for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved me even as you have loved me. Jesus reveals the following desires from his heart, that believers may be one as God is one. And that the world can believe that the Father sent the Son who the Father loves. And the Father loves us in the Son. There are many ways to witness to Christ. And there are many ministries and good works in Jesus' name. But how many believers specifically take these words to heart. And these words as their way to witness to Jesus. Does the world know Christians for their unity or for their divisions? And how do we take into account that our divisions may be a primary reason why people do not believe in Christ? Let's take a moment just to reflect on these questions. I want to look briefly at some other scripture passages that reveal Jesus' desire for unity among believers. Here's a first one that has echoed often in my mind throughout the years. Mark 9, verses 38 to 41. John said to him, Teacher, we saw a man casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not forbid him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon after to speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose his reward. I think it is very easy for us to think about other Christians as not following Christ for whatever human reason. And then we think our human thinking 
is the same as God's will. But let's make that effort to align our, our hearts more with the heart of Jesus. Here we might ask when we condemn other Christians, are we condemning them as not following us or as not following Jesus? Are we trying to forbid someone doing a good work in Jesus' name when the Lord may be calling them to do it? And are we judging other Christians with Jesus' criteria or with our own criteria? Let's take a moment to reflect on this. Here's another scripture text that the Holy Spirit recently brought to my heart and convicted me about. I haven't heard it directly used for Christian unity. Um, maybe it is. It's just that the Holy Spirit convicted me of this passage. Matthew 12, 46-50 While he was still speaking to the people, behold... His mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers and sisters? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers and sisters. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now among Christians, I take the position that legitimate differences are from God and are gifts of the Holy Spirit. However, I find that we maintain our divisions as identities and we use that as what is primary and forget what is primary. Here Jesus teaches and publicly declares without condition that whoever does the will of the Father is his family. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So when we see other believers from other churches, what exactly are we looking at? Do we see with Jesus' eyes and see our brothers and sisters because they're doing the will of the Father? Or do we see them with our fallen eyes and see them as our adversaries or enemies? Let's take a moment for reflection. Another passage that is dear to my heart is found in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, 
the life that was made manifest and we saw it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing this that our joy may be complete. John stated that the goal is to share this eternal life that the community has received. It's real. It's tangible. And they want to share it with others. So that invitation for others to share in their fellowship, in their communion, in their shared life, their community life. This is a reflection and a means of sharing in the life of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This text seems to directly relate to John 17 and reflect the heart of Jesus in praying that there be unity among the followers of Jesus an image of the unity of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The way of fellowship among Christians should reflect the fellowship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let me repeat that. The community of Christians should reflect that divine community among the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in their mysterious life as God. Again, this challenges us followers of Jesus. Are we more concerned with the unity of those who are like us, who are in our camp? Or are we concerned with the unity of those who follow Jesus? Do we aim to reflect a style of relationships that reflects the life of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's move into some theology and deeper understanding of ecumenism from other sources. I started with a brief Google search on the word ecumenism. One of the first hits is from Britannica.com. It states, The word ecumenism is derived from the Greek words eukumene, the inhabited world, and oikos, house, and can be traced from the commands, promises, and prayers of Jesus. Pretty good. And it continues, In the earlier centuries of Christianity, the word ecumenical was used to denote church councils, for example, Nicaea and Chalcedon, whose decisions represented the universal church, in contrast to other councils that enjoyed only regional or limited reception. And the article continues that the ecumenical movement seeks to recover the apostolic sense of the early church for unity in diversity, and it confronts the frustrations, difficulties, and ironies of the modern pluralistic world. Good article from 
Britannica.com. So we have here ecumenism rooted in the Greek sense of house and the world as a home. The early Christian world using ecumenism to express the commonality of beliefs and the communion of believers. And a current movement to regain Christian commonality rooted and connected to the historical beginning of early Christianity. We can look at a more scholarly source, the Oxford Dictionary of the Christian Church. Here's the definition of ecumenical movement. Formerly more usually ecumenical, from the Greek ecumene, the whole inhabitant world. The movement in the church towards the recovery of the unity of all believers in Christ, transcending differences of creed, ritual, and polity. So we find the affirmation of the Greek origin of this word, the sense of this uh, world as a home, and the expression of the contemporary movement for the unity of all believers transcending differences. And I think this is a key point in this passage, that is transcending differences, but not erasing differences. Transcending differences but not erasing differences. Here's another source, the Lexham Glossary of Theology. Ecumenism, a movement seeking unity and cooperation among all Christian churches and denominations, sometimes used generically for cooperation among people of different faiths. So we find two directions here, one for Christian unity and then those from different faiths. In my work, I will clearly refer to ecumenism as the expression of Christian unity that reclaims the early Christian understanding of Christian universality rooted in diversity and unity. For any reference to collaboration among other religions, I will use the term interfaith or interreligious and not ecumenism as some contemporary people do, but not all. I intentionally want to reclaim ecumenism as a historical Christian word that points to a time when Christians did live and affirm legitimate diversity and the koinonia of belief and life among believers. I want to conclude with the final source for understanding the word ecumenism, and that's from the Catechism of the Catholic Church this official teaching of the Catholic Church. Ecumenism, promotion of the restoration of unity among all Christians, the unity which is a gift of Christ and to which the Church is called by the Holy Spirit. This is a key point being made by the official teaching body of the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church. Ecumenism is a gift of Christ and a call by the Holy Spirit. We need to remember that Christian unity is God's gift. We will not be able to achieve Christian unity by human effort alone. Let's look now at some history. One good resource that I found is from a foreword written by Cecil M. Roebuck Jr. He's an Assemblies of God minister and professor of church history and ecumenics. 
not too sure. That's a new word that I just discovered, and I'm not too sure about the pronunciation. The foreword was written for Dr. Karen Peterson Finch's book, Grassroots Ecumenism. I enjoyed Roebuck's summary of the history of ecumenism. Here are some highlights from that history. First, the church has experienced divisions from the beginning. Some examples are the challenge of accepting Gentile converts, like in Acts 15, or factions in the church of Corinth, in 1 Corinthians. The world knows about the divisions throughout Christian history and uses this as a reason to doubt the truth of Christianity. Second, at the beginning of the 20th century, believers begin to express hope for the healing of divisions. In 1897, Pope Leo XIII called for devotion to the Holy Spirit and called for nine days of prayer before Pentecost, a novena, for the renewal of the church, the reunification of Christianity, and a renewal of society and the whole earth. This was 1897. By 1910, Anglican and Protestant leaders responded to the call and created the Great Missionary Conference in Edinburgh, Scotland. 1921 saw a response by the Orthodox Church with a letter calling for Christian unity. After some attempts and interruptions throughout World War II, in 1948, Christian leaders created the World Council of Churches. In 1961, the Orthodox churches joined, and during the Second Vatican Council between 1962 and 1965, the Catholic Church began to collaborate with the World Council of Churches. Roebuck affirmed that the majority of Christians believe the same ancient Apostles' Creed and the Nicene-Constantinople Creed even if they do not realize it. Roebuck has a beautiful passage about the gifts of the different churches and how they are understood in the ecumenical light. He writes, Catholics remind us that the local church is present in the universal church, and the universal church is present in every local congregation. The Orthodox family points to the importance of glorifying God rightly. Baptists witness to the significance of water baptism. Presbyterians, Congregationalists, and Episcopalians tell us how they govern themselves. Lutherans, Calvinists, Mennonites, and Wesleyans point us to the teachings of their forebears. Pentecostals want us to know about the power of the Spirit. Beautiful. How do we celebrate the gifts of the Holy Spirit among the body of believers? Can we celebrate other churches while also being able to celebrate our church? Can we agree that sin has led to divisions, but God can achieve the unity He desires? I want to introduce a concept that comes from Pope Francis. Some scholars discuss Pope Francis' use of the polyhedron as an image to view the church. A polyhedron is a three-dimensional body with many angles and surfaces such as a prism. Pope Francis is quoted in this article 
as addressing the Pentecostal Church of Reconciliation in Caserta. Pope Francis said, We are in an epoch of globalization. And we think about what globalization is and what unity would be in the church. Perhaps a sphere where all points are equal from the center. All equal? No. This is uniformity. And the Holy Spirit does not create uniformity. What shape can we find? Let us consider a prism. The prism is a unity, but all its parts are different. Each has its own uniqueness, its charism. This is unity and diversity. It is on this path that we Christians do what we call by the theological name of ecumenism. We seek to ensure that this diversity may be more harmonized by the Holy Spirit and become unity. So we have this image of being together with different legitimate gifts of the Holy Spirit while differences are being reconciled. This is an important paradigm shift in contemporary Christian thinking. While we may be from different churches and congregations, we are not each other's enemies. And we actually have been given gifts to share with one another. Although our divisions are caused by our sins, our differences are the fruit of the Spirit and the life of the body of believers or the church. The final concept I want to discuss is spiritual ecumenism. In the ecumenical movement, there are different areas of emphasis. There's dogma, there's the Bible, there's theology, and there's liturgy. The New Dictionary of Catholic Spirituality states that spiritual ecumenism is one of these areas and is defined as the rediscovery of shared Christian experiences as well as common prayer for the Spirit's gift of unity to the Church. It continues, the 20th century liturgical and biblical renewal precipitated among ecumenists a search for spiritual ecumenism as a grounds of truth that transcends historical divisions among the churches. So we have here a unique way of pursuing Jesus' call to unity. Most of ecumenical work is done by professionals, academics, those in authority, and they have their rightful place. Dr. Finch, in her book, Grassroot Ecumenism, makes the argument that lay people, the common everyday Christian, also needs to be involved in the work of ecumenism in their own ways and their own neighborhoods. For me, taking these quotes above, spiritual ecumenism is a way of discovering and sharing Christian spirituality and spiritualities. How do we pray together? How do we pray for one another? How do we praise together, meditate together, together sit around our Lord without having figured out how to solve all our differences? I recall one person saying that ecumenism is not our work, but our Lord's work. Jesus is the principal work of ecumenism and Christian unity. So let's draw near to our Lord 
let's draw near to his heart and see how he draws us closer through spirituality and spiritualities. What can we discover that we have in common? How can we be enriched by each other's spiritualities, unique way of relating to Christ? How do we remain close to the heart of Jesus and allow His heart to transform our hearts? In the Catholic Church, we're familiar with the different religious orders and having uh, distinct charisms for the benefit of all. And each group expresses a unique mystery of Christ. So one group might be dedicated to the poverty of Christ and gives witness to that. Another one dedicated to Christ the teacher. In my background and that of the Carmelites, it's that of Jesus who prays. I remember on one ecumenical podcast, there was a, a Baptist that was talking about how each of the churches can be a charism or a gift for the whole body of believers. And why not? We read in scripture, in Philippians 4.8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there be any excellence, if there be anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Do we Christians do this with one another? Focusing on common Christian experiences does not negate the importance of differences and the need for competent people to work through those differences. Spiritual ecumenism allows for us to focus on being united around Christ and sharing how we experience Him loving us and us trying to return that love in relationship with Him. To summarize, the movement for Christian unity comes from the heart of Christ. It is a gift from God and a call of the Holy Spirit that believers respond to and share in. So listening to today's episode, what is going on in your heart? Does ecumenism align with your heart? Are you finding difficulties? Are you being moved to participate more in God's work of pursuing unity among believers. Let's conclude. This is Juan Elias on the One is One podcast, an ecumenical Christian experience. This is our first knowledge episode, definitely longer. And we're going to see how the Lord leads us. Um, again, the goal is to have an episode every two weeks, about two every month, according to God's will. Please support this ministry by praying, subscribing, and sharing with others. To foster a sense of community, I invite you to dialogue on X with username at TrinityLife31. If you're interested in sponsoring episodes or you feel called to support this ministry in other ways, you may reach out at TrinityLife31 at gmail.com. I'm also available for talks, conferences, and retreats for different sizes of groups and churches. If you're struggling and need a faith-based support, try in-person or online biblical counseling at TheAnswerAZ.com. For those that love Bible study, you can get a discount on a digital package. See the link in the description. The One is One podcast is ecumenical at the service of all churches and is not affiliated with any particular church. Let's continue to journey together. Until next time, may you abide in the life of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.